Hi, I'm Darren Hagen, and I think my definition of relentless is an uncompromising quest for fairness. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Relentless Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Dubay, and today we have a very cool guest. I'm very excited to talk to this man. He is going to educate us, probably like not too many other people have educated us on this podcast. (laughs) This gentleman is a playwright, an actor. I'm actually, I'm reading, I never read introductions. He's a playwright, an actor, a sound designer, a composer, a performer, a director, a TV host, plus a ton of other things. Based here you forgot Edmonton. drag artist. Okay, I was getting there. Oh, okay, sorry. And one of the original, you're going to tell me the whole history, drag queens, drag artistes in Edmonton, Alberta, in Canada. Ladies, gentlemen, or whatever you would like and to everybody be called, in between. and everybody in between, uh, Darren Hagen is here. Darren, it's so good to have you. Good to be here. And it's Hagen, it's not Hagen. It's no, it's, well, okay, I grew up Hagen. Okay. But then when I moved to Edmonton and I started hanging out at a gay club called Flashback, there was this German punk rock diva named Nina Hagen. And it was spelled mm. exactly the same way. Mm. And I think every kid that wants to go into showbiz thinks, I want to change my name. Sure. But I didn't want to insult my mom and dad by changing my name. And then people started calling me Hagen because Nina Hagen was all the rage. And I kind of went, oh, so I can kind of change it without actually filling out any forms or paying. <laughs> yeah. So I went, okay, this, this new me is going to be Darren nice. Hagen. And I've been correcting people for 40 years. So, 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 so <laughs> do you everyone to, says Hagen Do you first. have to correct your family too? <laughs> They're still well, like, no. we're Hagens. I, I, know, I, know who, uh, who, I know what era people know me from by how they pronounce my last right. name. Or whether they call me Darren or Gloria, right? Because that was another transformation that happened. Okay, which we'll get into in a second. Yeah. Uh, my last name is Dubé without the accent aigu. It's Duber Doobie. 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 The Doobie so, Brothers. Uh, when I was playing hockey, I sat in the penalty box from time to time, probably more than time to time. And so if they ever announced it was uh, Kyle Doob or Kyle <laughs> Doobie, and I was, I was, I was getting so mad, like. But anyways. Hey, at least your name didn't rhyme with Fagan. That's right. <laughs> Trust me. You got off easy. <laughs> Yours is just a drug reference. I can't even say that. Like, I can't even say that. No, you're not allowed to. I'm anymore. not allowed to. No. And I, I should. And rightfully so. Well, and there you go. Some words just outlive their moment, right? Some words are done. Okay. We're going to jump right in here. Right. You said Fagan. Well, because obviously I'm referring to a very specific moment. I would be very careful about how I would use the F word as a pejorative. Uh, in, I would make sure there was context for talking about the word, for instance, right? Did you used to use that word? Well, I use it as a queer man because I own that word. Right. And I've actually gotten in trouble at places like the university because I will use that word. Right. Like when st- in, instead of gay bashing, I will actually go with a harsher version of that word. And I do it partially to shock the class, partially to sort of make sure that they're paying attention and to show them that the words hurt. Uh, but I was actually doing a pride thing at the University of Alberta once, and I was told that I wasn't allowed to use that word anymore. And I was like, uh, you know, I'm queer, right? Like I own that word. That word was used at me as a weapon sure. for decades. Sure. And I was told that, well, a lot of these kids come from small towns. I'm like, have you read my bio? Yeah. Like, come on. So, you know, for me, I, 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 if you don't allow me to use that word, the people that use it as a weapon are still going to use it. Mm-hmm. So that's like giving them the gun and not giving me any kind of ammunition to fire back. So for me, when I use that word, I own that word, and I'll use it however I you want. You come from a small town. Where do you come from? Rocky Mountain House. Rocky Mountain House. Beautiful area of this province. Stunning country. Yeah. Stunning. Beautiful area. I grew up in the lakes and the mountains and oh. the fields and riding my bike and all those things that kids do. Wow. 
I either read or uh, so let's let's talk about being a drag queen, if if you don't mind. I'm not I'm <laughs> Just, not going to ask you how that, that question <laughs> that you said. Don't ask me that question because I'll be here for ten hours. It's true. I wrote um, a book, and that even that's yeah, read not even the close. Book. Yeah, read, read the, book. the book, man. And what's the book called? The book is called The Edmonton Queen: The Final Voyage. Nice. It was originally called The Edmonton Queen, not a riverboat story. And yeah. the the I wrote the play. Just as the Edmonton Queen launched for the yeah. first time. Yeah. And so there's been a lot of funny moments where the headline in the paper about the Edmonton Queen matches what I'm doing. Yeah. So, for instance, the day I read my very first story on stage at the Fringe Preview Cabaret in 1996, the headline of the, in the journal that day was, Edmonton Queen set sail today. And I was doing a show called The Edmonton Queen. It was great. <laughs> And then when I did the book launch in Vancouver a year later, the headline as I got on the paper to fly to Vancouver was Edmonton Queen nearly crushed by ice because they, the boat had gotten in trouble. The, they had released water from the dam and the ice had raised. You know, yeah, was, yeah. yeah, and then you're out there just standing on a little iceberg in the river. There you go. And I did see a headline a while ago, and it was a story about the riverboat. And it said, the riverboat formerly known as the Edmonton Queen. And I went, I won. Yeah. Because for about 20 years, if you Googled the Edmonton Queen and then clicked images, half the pictures were of the boat and half the pictures were of me. (laughs) That is awesome. How does one, I'm really fascinated by this, how does one become, uh, is drag queen the right terminology? For me, yeah. Okay. For me. There are as many reasons for doing drag and many ways of approaching drag as there are people that do it. So I can only speak to my personal. Then then we're going to use the terminology you're okay with. Yeah, I'm totally. I I prefer drag artiste. Okay. Because I'll try to remember. Well, I pulled out of the clubs a long time ago, and I only do drag in an artistic theatrical context now. So, but back in those days, you were a drag queen. I was a bar queen. Yeah. How does this happen? Why did this? Where did this come from? Like, why, why, why were you thinking? I know, I wanted, to, and what you know, what you, you, is don't, being a drag queen? you what don't think that. You don't think that. It It's not a career option in the seventies. I'll, I'll, but I, there was a few pivotal moments. Like as I was growing up, I knew that I was different than the rest of the boys, and it wasn't okay. just about being queer. I was a girl too. Like I was gender fluid. That we didn't have language like gender fluid, not well, gender nonconforming, all that stuff. This is in the. But that was me. This is late sixties, early seventies. No, this is yeah. I, I like I went to grade one in seventy one. So okay. we're talking mid seventies. I'm about twelve years old in 76 and I started to become a well no I was always aware I, I hung out with girls mm-hmm. and I didn't understand why why that was weird as I got older sure. and I remember actually at one point being told you can't play with the girls anymore you have to play with the boys and I hated boys how but, old were you when someone said that to you uh, I don't remember. It's kind of a pervasive like message. Te- te- teenage or no, no, poor, no, kids. Poor, when you were you're kid. trying to get kids to act like boys and girls sure. because those are the only two options. Blue, pink. Yeah, right. Blue, pink. So in this weird binary world that we were forced to grow up in, there was a lot of us that didn't really quite fit into those square pegs, round holes, right? Yeah. So I was one of those kids. So I was always effeminate. I would always choose. The more feminine option, if you can use that term, right? Um, like my brother went to hockey. I went to figure skating, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. over and over again, it was just those were always my interests and my choices. I loved reading more than roughhousing. I loved playing with girls more than I loved playing with boys because boys were mean. And, and and it was always, you know. Oh, like girls aren't mean. Come on, Oh, <laughs> girl, girls are a different kind of mean, yeah. But boys were mean to me because I was queer, because right. I was so obviously not one of them. Right. And that's how boys define their masculinity is by crushing everybody who's not like them. That's the, that's the game, right? You, can, oh. I, can I be honest with you? Yeah. That was me. There you go. See, and I know a lot of guys like that. I, I, I've had interviews with, uh, with media who go like, uh, you were my first gay guy, my first gay interview. And it's, you know, that you're was a big my, step. You're for, not my first gay guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, in this day and age, if I was your first gay interview, I'd say you need to you need to try harder. Yeah. Well, you're truthfully because we are listen, everywhere. I just started the podcast. It's not like so. You're my second. You know, you might. I don't know if there's been other gay people on here because truthfully, at the end of the day, we're talking about this very specifically. I don't really care if a person's gay or not. No. Well, and sometimes the gay is not the story. Well, being exactly. gay, in my case, being gay is part of the story exactly. because it's kind of what I turned. What it influences all my art. What I'm saying though is, when I was a kid growing up in the '80s, I think what if you are you okay to, if I ask what year you were born in? Uh, 64. 64. Yeah. So you're nine years up on me. I was yeah. born. I graduated in '82 and came to Edmonton immediately after that. Okay. So I grew up technically in the '80s. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm 10 years old in 1983 and right. onward. And you are correct as boys in the 80s it was this oh what are you i'm not gonna say the f word uh you know if somebody was a little bit different than you, yeah a little bit um feminine or a little bit flamboyant if you will yeah then right away oh the guy's gay and i mean we were mean yeah there's no question about it and i feel i do i feel horrible about that we and all do things when we're young and stupid that we regret. Right. Right. Because I will say this, I, I feel horrible about it, but I do, I do my, my, now listen, I need you to praise me and make me feel good about myself. We'll see. I, <laughs> you got to earn that baby. I know. I know. <laughs> Fuck. I, I, I am ashamed. Yeah. I just want to point out you dropped the first half bomb. Yes, I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> we'll drop a few more. Just okay. heads up, yeah. listeners. Yeah. There's gonna be some f bombs. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. I am. I am ashamed of that behavior. And and but at the end of the day, to be honest with you, they're like, what? What am I gonna do about it now? Other than try my very best to what's what's the terminology now? Turn be the page. A, well, turn the page. Be an ally. Do what yeah. I can to. Yeah. Um, but it must have been very difficult for you growing up in that era well not just for me though like in, in rocky mountain house growing up in the 70s if you were anything but a straight white guy it was hard yeah women got treated like crap mm. queers got treated like crap people who are non-binary or non-gender conforming got treated like crap people who weren't white got mm. treated like crap like think about it think about yeah, it okay. it's pretty well well it, it narrows it down right so i grew up in rocky mountain house uh half an hour away 30 miles away is eckville i played piano at the david thompson high school graduation in 1982 that's where jim keekster taught generations of students that the holocaust never happened right. if you drive south from there you hit caroline where the kkk had a lovely farm the, yeah. for the aryan nations training and where yeah. the the lost boys of bountiful get sent to work as slave labor you know it's 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 a hotbed of uh, it's the Bible Belt of discrimination and racism and, and religion and homophobia, and it's all mixed together in this really potent mix, right? Well, good for you for. Oh hell, I got out as soon as I could. Being but, but, there, and, but yeah, but I mean, this is the relentless podcast. We talk all things relentless. Right? God, you had to be relentless as a young. Guy I had that... some advantages, though. I really like. I'm so 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 lucky because I had some real advantages. And the, the first one being, I grew up in an agnostic or even atheistic household. Okay. Like so, the whole fire brimstone, God's going to send you to hell. That wasn't even part of the queer right. conversation. Right. Like it never. When I came out, that was not the issue. Right. It was more about what was society think. And I think here's the thing: when a, when a person comes out of the closet. They've had their whole life to get ready for that moment, mm. and then they dump it on their parents or their family, and then their moment starts in that mm. moment, and they've got a long time to catch up, right? So I think, especially back then, the first thing that they think is that, oh my God, my kid's going to have such a hard life. 
And I think over the years, you, 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 you try to make sure that they don't worry about you by making choices. Well, and you know, choices are made for us sometimes. But I think as time went by, they realized that if anything was going to take me down, it was not going to be the fact that I was queer. There was other things like drugs and self-destruction. And sure. like there's, there's a lot of other things that I was dabbling in. Sure. Queer was the, the, the least of it in a lot of ways. But I also think that when someone like me comes out of the closet, it's probably not a huge surprise because all the signs were there, mm -hmm. right? All the signs were there. Um, you mean you like were asking the, me earlier, you mean like, the stereotypical signs? Not though. only the stereotypical signs, but also like I, I was pretty defiant. Like mm. you know, if I had a teacher that I went up against, I would fight back. I wasn't scared of authority. I've never really been scared of authority, in in the sense that but that doesn't mean you're gay. No, I was, I was the same way. <laughs> no, but I think being queer is one way of defying society's expectations. Not that you choose to do that, but it's a symptom of. Mm, no, that's that's not a fair statement. I was gonna say, do you think they, they go hand in hand for me? Do you think? Yeah, because if you got the ball, that. if you got the balls to be queer in an anti-queer world, yeah, you're not gonna really give a fuck what anybody else says. I, and I agree. Because society has already damned you. Here's the thing that I always try to explain to students when I'm teaching classes or when I'm talking to classes about about uh, growing up, which is even if I do everything right the way society wants, it doesn't matter. I'm still a they're still going to say, you can't work here. You, well, can't, that, you can't have... A, that, am I not allowed to say that? That's, a, that's a big swear. <laughs> <laughs> I was holding back, too. <laughs> Here's the thing. I can do everything right, and society, up, up until 1998, when human rights finally clicked in in Alberta for queer people, um, up until 1998, I could do everything right, and I could still be fired from my job, discriminated, thrown out of my apartment. It didn't matter. So what benefit is there to playing by society's rules absolutely none because i can do everything right and i'll still go to hell in a whole bunch of people's eyes and i still don't deserve equality in a whole bunch of people's eyes so yeah. when you realize that larger implication of homophobia it's kind of like screw the world i'll do what i want you know i was raised in a, a fairly conservative religious christian home yeah which which religion which denomination uh, protestant it was Al, uh, alliance church we went to um, and I'm not here to bash any religion. I'm not here to bash any church. I know you're not either. Um, no. we're, that's not what this is about. People can be religious. Just don't use it to control me. Well, uh, well, now you're going to get me down the path of how religion controls people. But that's, that's a, that's a that's different, a different podcast. That's a different show. It's a different podcast. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, that's the podcast. He's going to say a priest and a rabbi. And a, they, <laughs> no, anyways. Um, and so again, this, this, it, the messaging in my house wasn't what you're talking about Rocky Mountain House, like the, the, the fire and brimstone. It wasn't that, but it definitely was, um, you're not born gay. Right. And gays should not be married. Right. And, but it was. Shouldn't but, have children. Shouldn't be adopting kids. I don't remember. Yeah. You know what? That would yes. have come up at some point. That would have come up at some point, but oh, this is going to sound so awful to say. It was like, it was like, <laughs> It was mild homophobia because... because okay, so because what is mild homophobia versus more... I'm being facetious. I know, but I, because, you reminded me of a guy I met once. I was a customer of his at like Badass Jacks or something. And he was... <laughs> nice. He kept thinking I was this straight dude. Because, you know, I'm six foot yeah. a thousand and yeah. I have a low voice. And, yeah. you know, 
if I hold back, I, the purse doesn't fall out immediately when sure. I open my mouth. Sure. And so he didn't know. And I remember running into him when he wasn't at work. And that's when he finally realized I was gay. And he was like, oh. And I said, like, do you have a problem with that? He went, oh, no, no. He said, I'm not homophobic. I've never beat up a fag. Oh, gosh. And I was like, seriously, okay. that's, that's your line? That's, that's, that's that, the litmus listen, test? This is, You've I never should, punched I shouldn't one? have said so, mild homophobic. Yeah. Only because like, my parents would have never been like, you need to beat up homosexuals right. like that's not what it was and it wasn't like hardcore push but it was pushed okay and the exclusion from society's conventions and and structures is more damaging than physical violence if, as far as you uh, are. because the amount of gay people and i you know i'm not going to quote numbers or anything and, and people are more than welcome to disagree with me but the amount of gay people who actually experience that violence compared to the amount of gay people, queer people who experience exclusion from society and the damage that that does without mm. ever having a punch thrown oh, at them. the isolation, right? yeah. the, the mental illness stuff well, that happens. Well, just the growing health. up knowing that you don't belong. Right. Right? Like well, I, you know what I say, right. I, I don't, I don't know. And this is, this is, I, I do, I do find that fascinating. I try to be an empathetic person. But I find, how, how can I have empathy if I don't fully understand? So then I go to sympathy. But, but this, this is what I was getting to, is that it's the way I was raised. And then I just started, you know, then you become a young man and you go into the world. And, and you hit the real world where you, homophobia you, isn't actually allowed. Well, it's not even that it's not allowed. It's like, why does it even exist? Yep. It's pointless. And we talked about, and I'm, I'm quite disappointed that you have not seen this movie. The Birdcage. Right. With Robin Williams. I've seen pieces of it, I'll be honest. And it I know is, a lot about it, but I've never I literally just watched it. it within the last year again. Yeah. It is top five best comedies I've ever seen. Um, it is so good. And I just remember in 1996, that's the year I got married, um, uh, watching it. And I feel like my world started to change a little bit because of that movie. That's wonderful. See, and this is why I've been so. Uh, relentless if you will about making sure that i put out lots of queer content in mm -hmm. my in my in my body of work in my writing and that's always been my focus is queer issues queer stories queer narratives queer history uh it's because one movie can change a person's life mm -hmm. one, i agree with one that. book one song one song one book. can change a person's life one celebrity saying the right thing at the right time can change a person's life and so when you realize the 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 heavy responsibility of being an artist or a spokesperson person or a, you know a leader of any kind you, you recognize that every word has weight mm. and I've always said I, I remember when I was working on help TV and uh, the Columbine shooting happened and in the back room of course as we were all smoking before help TV we were all talking about the causes of like what makes someone go out and attack a whole bunch of their their fellow students and there was this sort of general acceptance of the fact that well but there's always going to be bullies and there's always going to be victims that's just the way it is and i was like but we need to change that and there was one straight guy that was like well it's never going to change and i i said yeah tell tasha larson how there's nothing will ever change and tell her ask her why she's even doing this damn tv show then because this show is all about change and that whole idea that if you if you drop a pebble in a pond the ripples go till they can't go any further so every word we utter moves air out of its way to make space for that sound. And the, that sound travels forever. And so to think that there's no impact from someone doing something, when something as simple as a book or a movie can change one person's life, like if, if, if it changed your mind about queer people, imagine the millions of people that have seen that movie and how many people have, I'll tell you, when I was about, I'm gonna say, 
10 or 11 or 12. Craig Russell was a female impersonator from Toronto who hit it famous with a movie called Outrageous, and it was nominated for all the genies. It was made on a budget of, of about $12, and it ended up becoming a huge global smash. You can watch it on YouTube, the whole okay. thing. And he was a brilliant, he sort of set the stage and set the bar for the sort of the one woman, many, or one man, many female, imperson uh, female celebrity impersonation kind of show. Mm -hmm. uh, and he as Judy Garland did a song on the genies that year and I watched it on CBC and I think that's the first time I'd ever seen a drag queen on TV. So we're talking 1977, I think that movie right. came out, 76. Right. And then a, a little while later, I actually watched a, a special with my mom on entertainment in Europe and they were talking about how racy it is versus, or how liberal and open it is versus North America at the time. And they went to Stockholm, Sweden and I watched this beautiful woman on stage singing and then at the end of the song, she took off her dress and she had long hair and she was she put on a shirt and it was a man mm -hmm. and i was like that's the most amazing thing i've ever seen mm -hmm. and i think those are the though i remember those two moments so crystal clear because i was like feminine men exist mm -hmm. and i don't have to be ashamed of it because look they're applauding these people mm -hmm. and so for me the whole idea of of taking that femininity that should that is normally perceived as something that would hold you back in the world and turning it into my secret weapon and my, my ultimate strength and using, making sure that it was never to be compromised. The fact that I am a feminine man is in fact what makes me special and it makes me uh, able to do a lot of stuff that most men can't do. Yeah. And not just drag. I'm talking defying authority. Like men are, men are so restricted by homophobia that they will never really, really realize their true potential as human beings as long as they're homophobic. That it holds a, back. That's a great it message. It doesn't and I just agree. hold back queer people. It holds back all people. I agree with that a million percent. And oh, there's, oh so there's, I, listen, I, there I've are dumbfounded so, there, you. There, well, there, <laughs> sorry to interrupt the Relentless podcast, everybody, although this is a very good message. We want you to go and check out our Relentless merchandise store. That's right. We have launched a merchandise store for all of our relentless garb. We've got t-shirts, we've got hoodies, we've got crew necks, we've got hats, we've got toques, and we're going to be coming out with some more merchandise in the very near future. So please, www.youcan.ca, that's Y-O-U-C-A-N.ca. When you get to the website, you look up to the top right corner, I think it says buy our merch. Hit that button, boom, it'll take you there. We really want you to wear our stuff. One, because every dollar raised goes directly into our programming for the young people we work with. And two, because it's a conversation starter for you. When you wear it, people are going to go, what's relentless? You can then brag about how you support an incredibly good organization helping young people. And then you can talk about how you are relentless in your life. That's what we want. We don't want us to just be relentless. We want you to be relentless too. Thanks for your support, and we appreciate you helping us out. Now, back to the show. There are so many takeaways from what you're saying here. That's because I speak in paragraphs. I'm and so I, sorry. No, I love it. <laughs> and I, I love to unpack so many things with you here. But it's, again, for me, that, that transformation in my life, and I don't know if that was the exact moment, like watching that movie. Listen, I remember the movie Philadelphia coming out. Oh, so that's another big one. Right? right. And I remember going to that. I'm trying to remember the year of that. I want to say 92-ish. If I had my phone here, I would Yeah, 92-ish, 93-ish, and around there. They're all Googling at home right now to yes, figure out if yes. you're right or not. And I remember being in the theater of that movie with three of my buddies. And my one buddy goes, he goes, 
oh, man, I bet everyone thinks we're gay in here. Right. And I remember thinking, well, who cares? Yeah. And that would have been one of the first times that I would have had a thought like that. Well, who cares? Right, right. It doesn't matter. And then watching that movie is very powerful. Okay. It's a beautiful movie. Um, and, and and then for me, as as we go into the late 90s and into the 2000s and like, I'm becoming maybe more worldly, but still quite churchy. I was still right. pretty churchy. It's hard to shake that stuff. Oh, it it, it is. And listen, I, I I think I have a faith in God still. I just think if there is a God, he's way cooler than any church ever fucking made him out to be. <laughs> totally, that's, that's right? That's what I like, think. Yeah. And <laughs> like way beyond our imaginations right, if there is such like a thing. Just, and not as restricting. Yeah. And not like to me it would be about relationship, not the rules right. kind of a thing, right? And I know that a lot of Christians will be, well, that's an easy answer. Then you could live the way. Yeah, you're right. Then I can live the way I want. So yeah. fuck off. But anyways. <laughs> Welcome to the double standard of religion. Right. So, Where you take what you can get out of it to well, use other to pe- me to hold love, people back. Love is love. And so this is what I've learned throughout the years. And then I get into those early 2000s and I meet this guy. And he's one of my best friends to this day. He, he lives in Dublin, Ireland. Very long story, won't get into the whole thing. He is gay. Mm-hmm. I, Did you know that when he became one of your best friends? No. Nope. Oh. Well. Interesting. I should have, I should have seen. All yes. the clues were there. No, no, no. Here's the thing. I didn't feel being uh, still trying to expand my mind, but still being short-sighted, narrow-minded of if you're gay, you have to be flamboyant. Right. You have to be feminine. You're, you're basically waiting for a purse to fall out of his mouth. Now that yeah. I know Chris better, he does have those characteristics, but not... Not, like like you said, like whenever I open my mouth and my purse falls Seriously, off, right? it was pretty easy to spot that I was gay. It's it's harder now because uh, I think our, our idea of what masculine and feminine has altered over the it, last it, it three decades. It has altered for and sure. And there's a lot more flexibility you know and variation there. You know what I find with you even in this short time? When you get going and stuff, you're a little bit more... Fa- and then oh, yeah, it goes... Like yeah. you kind of go like... Well, and I, I don't want to say in and out of it, he, but like... It is though because I find it's one of those things... <sighs> It, it's a part of my personality that when I need it, it's there. Sure. And I can toss some shade out and, 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 and be the bitch queen. Sure. And then retreat back but into like serious, serious historian. Don't you think it's part of everyone's personality? Because you know what? I feel that I can be that way sometimes. I get quite animated and flamboyant Every straight guy can be flamboyant. Yes. If they would allow themselves yes. to be free and enough. I, I think I do allow myself, which yeah. is good. But anyways, with Chris, <clears throat> we hung out for about two or three days of very condensed time together. This is, I don't want to tell the whole story because it's just too long. I just remember going, oh man, like, you know, he's, there's, there's pretty girls at summertime. It's in Ottawa and he's not saying a word. I was like, man, there's, and he's like, eh. And then finally he just goes, because there was some other young people on the trip. They're like, oh, this girl. And then he just, he looked at me and he goes, yeah, so like, I'm gay. And I went, no, you're not. <laughs> Because what is wrong with me to say that to a person? That's, but, but that's straight white guy, guy privilege. I know it's like, it well, is. Well, no, I would have known if you were gay. Because yeah. oh, I'm on. smart. I'm a straight white a, guy. I've got a gay dar. I've got a gay dar. And, and the thing <laughs> is, though, but it was almost like then I thought, well, is he just joking? Because it's quite a jokey group. Right. But he, he goes, no, seriously, I am. Well, we became really close on this, this program we were involved with. Like we were together essentially for two straight weeks, okay, with all leading all these young people. Ended up going over to Ireland to bring a group, and we hung up, and we just became so, 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 so close. 
I remember him saying to me, because I, my, again, I was changing, right? My mind yeah. was, my, my, my heart was changing. My mind was changing. Yeah. And this whole, are you born gay or not? Right. Because I was taught. There's a choice. It's not the way the Lord right. does it. And I just remember Chris saying to me, he had been beat up three or four times because uh-huh. Ireland was pretty hardcore. Even, even still it's pretty hardcore. Well, Right, it's, and it's still like the religious wars in that's, Ireland are that's still right. hot and heavy. Yeah, and he said, "You know, do you think I would have chose to to be like if you, if you use the word persecuted or, yeah. or, or be?" He goes, "I would never choose that, Kyle." Why would anyone choose to be excluded? Right, right, and it just, I, it, it was the best thing that he could have ever said to me. Sometimes you just need those clues to make you look at the world in a different way, mm-hmm. you know? And sometimes it's a friend just saying that one right you thing. You know what you need? You need relationship with all that's the big thing. kinds of people. Every parent that's homophobic, if they have a queer kid, they're going to have to challenge mm. their own homophobia or lose that kid. That's the choice. That's so sad. And so me. when it comes down to a hard choice like that, which is like, do I love my kid enough to to get past this or do I do I want to hold on to my beliefs and let go of this kid forever. That's a choice that I've, uh, that a lot of parents have had to make. And I think a lot of queer people have had to make too, because you know, I'm, I'm really happy that my parents came around. It took, it took a few years. I'll never forget the first time I took my, my boyfriend, my husband, my partner for, uh, at the time he was my partner, uh, to, uh, to home to Rocky Mountain House for Christmas. And I was so nervous because, you know, my dad's a blue collar roughneck on the rigs and yeah. beer drinking kind of guy. And my, my mom was fantastic. And I knew, that, I knew that they would treat Kevin well. But it's still, it was a big step for us mm. to bring him home for Christmas. And within five minutes, Kevin and dad were having a beer together and laughing. And I was like, who the hell's this guy? Yeah. Like, we're, th- that's not my dad. But it, but he, it, him and I never had that relationship. But the cool thing is it is your dad. It is. It was your dad. Like, you know, I, I, I look at that. It's so much about relationships. And it's so much about just, you know, when you talk about if, if homophobic parents. Uh, oh, pardon me. I don't know if I should tell this story or not. But whatever. So I have a, this is the way I'll say it. I have relatives. Mm-hmm. Um. And their grandchild mm-hmm. has come out in the last couple of years. And truthfully, it's one of those things where we're all like, uh, yeah. Yep, yeah, yep, that, that, that tracks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, again, because of my, my white male, the, the gaydar I have. But anyways, <laughs> it just it tracks. And, but these folks... Um, Literally last night, my brother and I were talking about they're they're every night. I'm sure that they're trying to pray away the gay, and, right? And their initial reaction was it was just awful, awful the way that they were with him. Not not his parents, yeah, but the grandparents, right? That that's a, it's a generational thing. Big but time. but but here's the saddest part for me. Oh, no. I thought you'd get emotional talking about some stuff, but but I'm gonna. I'm here to make you cry. <clears throat> I don't. I don't understand how you love and adore somebody for whatever, ten, twenty, thirty years, whatever it mm-hmm. is. And I'm talking love and adore. And when that person comes out, it it just turns into what it is. Now I will tell you this: they have shifted. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I I don't time know. might work. Yeah, t- time, time might time, help. Time I think will. It depends on how much time I, is left. I, right? I I when I say shifted, I don't know. Put it this way: 
they're at least going to like talk and yeah. they've met the partner and which to me is actually huge yeah right but the idea of losing and i don't know if you know this i don't know why i wanted to just now touch your hand <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you know this about me and I, this isn't about this I, I lost a child two and a half years ago i'm so sorry okay. to hear that the idea of someone making a choice to lose a child yeah. because they are are queer makes zero sense to me. Or or somehow thinking that taking that hard line will make the child turn around to sit to save the relationship. And I got to be honest, if if I find out that people are homophobic and firmly so, I make the choice. So it's not their choice. Do you to know make. that? Do you know that I'm? Like we've talked earlier, like let's not get canceled. I'm okay with a little homophobia if the people are willing to actually sit and have a conversation and try to learn and listen. Does that make sense? So, well, it's, it's interesting because I think you're putting homophobia on a scale, and I'm not sure it does yeah, the scale true. routine. That's true. It's kind of you're either racist or you're not. You okay. can't be a little bit racist, <laughs> right? You're racist. I'm homophobia get, is the same way. I'm going to get canceled. And I think just you're for thinking of the of difference between actually going out there and attacking queer people right. versus voting for fucking UCP. Right. Right. Like, whoa, whoa, oh no, that's going to be good. Now, now, be we're getting, getting, now we're getting political. <laughs> no, okay, you're right. I shouldn't say I'm okay with a little bit of homophobia. This is what I'm okay with. I'm okay with the idea that people can change. Yeah. We evolve. That's, that's what I'm okay we with. We have to evolve. We have to grow. Now, that's easy for me, as you said earlier, as a white privileged male to say. But I also believe that it's happened in my life. And I'm okay to talk about this stuff. Right. Some people aren't. Some people are like, oh, no, I've always been accepting of the homosexual community. And right. it's like, no, you haven't. I used to hang out with you. I know the way you work. <laughs> right? I, I would rather be people... I would rather have straight white guys be honest about their evolution than to try to pretend that they were always open-minded yeah, when I know that they uh, were. Yes. One yes. of my favorite moments when I was working the bar at Flashback, I'd be behind the bar. And I'm six foot four, six mm -hmm. foot seven in heels. Yep. I looked pretty hot back then. Plus, oh. my bar my bar was raised. Darren, so. I've seen pictures. You showed me video. Like, you were hot, man. <laughs> I had my moments. You're hot. And so I was about like seven feet tall, this giant yeah. Glamazon yeah. behind the bar. Yeah. And every now and then I'd look over the bar because I'd be working my ass off. And I'd look over the bar and it's like, oh, look, it's the captain of the football team from mm. Rocky Mountain House. And look, he's going bald. Yeah. And I flip my hair. <laughs> hey, baby, want a drink? Yeah. It was so fun to have them on my turf. Sure. Where I was in, and I think the thing about flashback, and that's the the the, the bar that changed my life. The mm. moment that changed my life was when mm. I walked into that bar because it wasn't just a gay bar. No, it was a radical rethinking of society and mm. where the lines between the straight and the gay community could be blurred. Yeah. Where the lines between male and female could be blurred. Like there was there was no absolutes at a place like flashback. Mm. You walked in and you were allowed to decide what you were, who you were, and how you wanted to present sure. that. And where, how off, where I, else do you get that? Well, I was going to say, in, 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 the, in the 80s and the 90s, like, where were you getting that anywhere else in, in this community, or really anywhere? No. Yeah. You know, now, obviously, there's cities like New York. Like, there were yeah, the, but, but we're talking but we're prairies. Talking about, we're, talking we're talking Edmonton. Edmonton. We're talking Alberta. about moving here from, like, you know, west of Red Deer. Sure. Right? <laughs> sure. So um, to land in a city like Edmonton, and I'll be honest, I wasn't, I wasn't planning on staying in Edmonton. No. I, oh, no. I wanted to go to one of those big towns where all the fruits were. Right. I wanted to go to Vancouver or Montreal and get right. laid a lot because right. I was 18, right? Right. But I came to Edmonton, and I walked into Flashback, and my life changed, and mm. then good things kept happening to me. And I think one of the things that happened is I saw my first drag show on Halloween in 1982, and it yeah. changed my life. Yeah. And I think those early experiences that I told you of seeing drag on TV, in that moment it all crystallized, and I realized this is a place where being an effeminate male 
is the best thing you can be mm. and you will be elevated and nurtured and celebrated and cheered mm. and who could resist that mm. it was literally i saw my first drag show in person on uh, Halloween of 82 by January 14th 1983 I was in my first drag show wow a year later I was Miss Flashback and a year later I was the entertainer of the year and a couple of years later I was entertainer of the decade wow and I ran the scene at Flashback for the next yeah. decade till, yeah. till, till I got fired so let's talk a little bit about um if you're okay with this before we st- uh, before we before you go on I'm just gonna say am I hearing something yeah I oh think th- but okay yeah, but that's not gonna be no okay. I don't think it'll be on I just there. wanted to make sure no it's uh, the studio is in like this industrial area. Yeah, and there's there's who knows. There's, I just wanted to make sure it wasn't making through on your. There's people at work out there. How dare they? Notice I didn't say men at work because because <laughs> <laughs> in 2023, I can't even believe I started the podcast with ladies and gentlemen. Do you know? I think this is the first one I did. That's hard. You know, as a person who has introduced people on stage yeah. for 40 years, it's one of the hardest phrases yes. to drop from your lexicon is yes. ladies and gentlemen. And, and I, I do speaking and stuff like that yeah. too. So, it's hard. so that's why I said, or whatever else. Cause I, I, so you know what the term I use all the time is, Hey folks. Yeah. I like, I also like, hello, my good people. There you go. Right. Right. Hey um, people. I, but I'm a, I'm a person who has trouble re- remembering people's names. So yeah. I call every, everybody darling. I'm like the, I'm Tallulah no, Bankhead that way. Honestly, I'm the same way. <laughs> I hear what you're saying, Jeff. Um, so let's let's talk if you're okay with um the the uh and actually where where I thought that we'd go is prior to coming on we talked about um movies right and, and we already have talked about movies and how that you know a movie a, a piece of artwork a, a song can change someone's life and we were talking about Harvey Milk right um which got me thinking about the 70s and the 80s and then the massiveness of AIDS yeah and then, of course, the movie Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, are you okay to talk about that? Like, that must have been a well, very I've, tough thing to, to live through I've in re- the 80s and the 90s, because yeah. that's when it was just massive, right? It was the 80s that it was kind of running rampant through the Edmonton community, and it was the 90s when we started to really start to bury people rapidly and and at an alarming rate. And it was actually, like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay talking about it, because ultimately, I don't know if I would have had a writing career without the AIDS epidemic. I'm a writer that was born of that tragedy. That tragedy is the first thing I wrote about. Uh, you know, The Edmonton Queen, it sounds like it's just a book about Dragon Edmonton, but it's a book about all the friends that I lost. That's what it's mm. about. And it started because I was going to so many funerals and I would often get get uh, contacted to say, will you, write, will you write a eulogy? Will you tell a story at the funeral? And so I started writing these stories about my friends for their, for their memorials. And uh, that is what turned into the first version of the Edmonton Queen, which I was lucky enough that a publisher saw it and got, I got a book deal. And that's so literally it was, it was um, uh, an act of creation that completely changed my course. Cause I didn't think I would ever be a writer. I, I moved here to be a composer before I got distracted by the drag stuff. Yeah. I'm a musician. Like right. that's what I came here to do. Right. I was going to be a serious composer. And then suddenly I'm like on stage in a dress. Right? right. So it took me a while to get back to theater. But then when I, when I actually started writing, that's what changed. That was the first time I think I put my, my, my story and my voice out there and sort of claimed a piece of that open air for myself. And, and once you do that, there's no going back. Um, it's a hard decade to talk about, of course, because the body toll is so huge. And, you know, even as I 
uh, uh, talk about my loss or my sense of loss. I know that what I experienced was one-tenth of what queer people in the big metro centers like San Francisco or Montreal or people who were 10 years older than me sure. who were more sexually active during the 70s because I was just a kid during the 70s. So yeah. like, uh, And, you know, uh, the fact that I'm alive is just a, a, luck, a moment of lucky timing because I moved here in 82 the first stories about grid gay related immune deficiency which was what the aids was called before they knew what it was appeared in early 83 or even late 81 sometimes depending yeah. on which source you talk about and uh so i literally i call it there was a six month i call it the honeymoon period of moving up here and going oh i'm an openly gay man i get to have sex with whoever i want oh no now we can't have sex because right. literally you know i was one of those like all the straight guys i had to worry that i knew in high school had to worry about pregnancy and stds and you know gay guys did not need to worry about that stuff right, right? so um, and, and, and of course you, I think we need to always sort of reinforce this memory or this, this concept that when it first hit, we didn't know, nobody knew how to protect themselves from mm. it. And so there's a lot of blaming that goes around, a lot of slut shaming and blaming that goes around from people who grew up in a condom educated era saying, well, why didn't you guys just wear condoms? Like, well, we didn't know right. that wasn't, that <clears throat> wasn't our world back right. then. Um, I was lucky enough that I met my partner who I'm now, he's now my husband. We're going on. We just had our 39th anniversary. Amazing. I know we've ruined each other for anybody else. Yes. Now nobody else is going to have yes. us now. So much baggage. And I'm not retraining another husband and he's certainly not going to retrain another. So husband. much baggage. <laughs> <laughs> but we met in, uh, uh, we hooked up, uh, uh, in, uh, 84. Okay. So there was, you know, when I was Miss flashback. So, um, once, once we kind of moved in together, like that was, and then a lot of people that I had had contact with ended up dying. So mm -hmm. it's literally just a matter of when did you have sex with this person? Mm -hmm. If it was before this date, you're fine. If it was after this date, you're in trouble. Yeah. And, and literally, it's a luck of timing. It's random mm -hmm. blind luck as to who died and who lived. Still so hard, though. Like, so yeah. hard for you to, to lose so many loved ones and friends. And My husband and... has lost more. Yeah. because he's six years older than me yeah. so he was a, a generation that was hit even harder mm -hmm. and not just by AIDS my husband went to like murder funerals and mm -hmm. trials and had friends that were attacked by hustlers they took home and like I was uh, in 1986 so I would have been 22 is when I went to my first murder funeral for a guy that we worked with who had been he took the wrong guy home and got stabbed with one of his own knives in his kitchen you know, that's uh, it's again. It's, so it wasn't just AIDS. No, it was it was AIDS. It was homophobia. It was, you know, government, the government of Alberta specifically choosing and designing a policy of using gay rights as a wedge issue to fire up the right wing to make sure they stayed in power to divide yeah, people, yeah. you know, and that's and, you know, I'm, I just finished directing and writing a documentary about the Delwyn Vreen case, which is the King's College professor who was fired for being gay in 1991 and took the Alberta government to court because gay sexual orientation was not listed in the list of things you could not discriminate against. So the Alberta Human Rights Commission said, sorry, there's nothing we can do. So he took the Alberta government to court and won. And the Alberta government appealed that decision. In other words, the Alberta government, and when I'm talking Ralph Klein's government, let's name it what it was, Ralph Klein's government chose to fight including queer people all the way to the Supreme Court. Wow. And it was it took seven years and uh, how many hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars to take that and ultimately the government lost that case right right so but that means until 1998 and I, how old would I be in 1998 34 mm, I want to say yeah. yes that's when I became an Albertan I was 34 right 
before I actually had even the glimmer of equality in this province. So I remember once someone saying, well, why do you stay here? And I, I so this is what, when I was quite a bit younger and I was just getting, I was being mouthy and young and, and an activist. Someone said, why do you stay in Alberta? And I said, because Alberta deserves me. Mm. I grew up here. I'm an Albertan. I have more right to be here than a lot of Albertans. Uh, and I've done nothing but, you know, contribute. And so, yeah. Alberta does deserve you. It though. fucking deserves me. It does. <laughs> it does. You've contributed <clears throat> so much. And again, we could go through the laundry list here. Oh, don't start. Um, <laughs> no, I won't because well, it's going to take me 10. I'm a terrible reader. It's going to take me 10 minutes to read it all, man. Like there is so much stuff that you have done. You got to stay busy. What's it's, the point it, in being here but if you're not like producing something, it really right? It is incredible. The Relentless Podcast is brought to you by You Can Youth Services, which I am very proud to be a part of. You Can Youth Services is an organization that helps young people move out of harm's way and onto a path of economic independence. If you want to learn more about the incredible work that we do with some very vulnerable young people, please go to www.youcan.ca. That's www.youcan.ca. What are you working on right now? Right now, I've actually got uh, my Christmas play, which was commissioned by Lunchbox back in 2009. It's called With Bells On. It's about mm-hmm. a drag queen stuck in an elevator. Uh, she's dressed as a Christmas tree, and she's stuck in the elevator with a straight guy. <laughs> Stop right there. <laughs> it's a Christmas play. So I read about this yeah. in doing my research. It's one of my big hits. Right. But I just love the concept of a drag queen dressed in a Christmas tree. Well, and that's hilarious because it wasn't a Christmas play when I wrote it. It was a stage yeah. direction. I, I just wanted to trap a drag queen and a straight guy in an elevator because sure. I've been in that situation Yeah, in drag on elevators with people like I'm like you know, well, you're writing from, like you said, Glamzilla's in there, yeah, it's yeah. Like, right? So you're, you're, a lot of the stuff that you're writing from, this is from these lived experiences. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, I remember once going to a film thing and having the, oh, I can't remember who was lecturing, but they said, okay, rule number one to becoming a filmmaker, don't go to film school. Go live a life. Mm. Live a life worth making a film about. Yeah. Like go have an adventure. And I got this adventure at Flashback for 10 years. I got yeah. to live in a circus. Yeah. And I was the fucking bearded lady. Sure. Right? I got to do whatever I wanted. And I was in charge. And it was fantastic. And no one ever said no. And it just got better and more exciting every time. You know, there was a lot of tragedy involved as well. But like there was just this beautiful sense of adventure. And f- those years... That what, what drag has supplied me with is an experience that I can keep going back to. It's like the well that never stops feeding me ideas and inspiration and, and compassion and understanding too because I think once you've been in that situation, you understand when someone says, I feel left out or I feel excluded. It's like, yeah, I get that. I get that. I've lived it, right? And so um, it sounds silly that a drag queen stuck in an elevator can be a big inspiration, but I've been in elevators in drag with a bunch of people who are like, what the hell's going on? No, I, I, <laughs> I, I think that's an incredible concept for, for a production just because of the, the I, mean, I don't know if this is the right word, but like the, because it's such a confined, the intimacy of that space yeah. that, that you're not even realizing can become an intimacy of a space until you're stuck in there. Exactly. And all, and then where do you go? What do you do? Who well, do you, and it's funny because you know? it, as a writer, it sort of forces you like, okay, well, what are they going to talk about? Right. What's going to happen? And so there's a whole bunch of moments where we actually get to deal with the reality. Where, of where is that production being performed? Um, right now, it's being rehearsed uh, in Calgary. The original play is being rehearsed in Calgary at Lunchbox Theater, where it was originally commissioned. It'll okay. open in a couple of weeks. But at the same time, uh, about, a, about a decade ago... Are we doing it in Edmonton? Yes. I say uh, we, like I'm, I'm part of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. You and I are doing yes. it in Edmonton. Yeah, you'll be the straight guy. I'll be the straight <laughs> 
Is that a compliment or a uh, cut down? I don't know. Is that a call because you think I'm going to be a great actor? <laughs> or do I think you'll be a lousy or, drag queen? Or, yeah. Frankly, there's no such thing as a lousy drag queen. I was going to say They're that's offensive. Awesome. <laughs> I think I would have been. Uh, about a decade ago, I had just finished doing the show in Edmonton because after Lunchbox originally, we did it in Edmonton three yeah. years in a row at the Roxy and uh, before it burnt down. Right. And uh, the last year I did it, I got an email from this guy who used to be an Edmontonian who had moved to New York to become a choreographer and a producer and but he still had family in Edmonton so every every Christmas he would come home to visit his family and go what can I take mom and dad to oh look here's a fun drag show Christmas yeah. let's go see it and he sent me an email saying I'm from New York I'd love to work with you about turning this into a musical and oh, so wow. that uh, that happened during COVID actually mm. when the, uh, the work actually happened and so the world premiere of the musical adaptation of my play with Bells On is happening at the Roxy, and it's Dev Jenke cool. and Tommy Newman wrote the uh, the musical based that on my based cool. on my play. So and that's when exciting. is that happening? We're in rehearsals now. It opens in a, in a few weeks, like uh, okay. December seventh, I think it opens. So it's going to be basically there's going to be two very queer Christmas gay drag Christmas plays happening in Edmonton and Calgary yeah. at the same time. Oh, that's good, Alberta man. deserves me. <laughs> Alberta does deserve you. But I'm also putting the finishing touches on the Vreen documentary, which is a documentary about the uh, the, the the case of Delwyn Vreen taking the Alberta Supreme uh, mm-hmm. Government to the Supreme Court. And it was kind of amazing because I got to interview some of the most amazing legal minds and some of the most eloquent people. I got to interview a senator, a Supreme Court judge. Like it was like I've, uh, uh, several times in the process, I went, this is so far beyond my pay grade. Like what the hell am I doing here? This drag queen interviewing a senator and interviewing a, a Supreme Court justice. But uh, I love showing people. I'm determined to carry the drag queen title around even if I don't do drag again ever in my life. Sure. And, I, and that's a possibility because I'm old and cranky and lazy and frankly, my feet hurt. So fuck that. So Because um, it's a lot of work. It's so much work. And the older you get, the longer it takes yeah. and the less pretty you get. Sure. <laughs> Not that it's about being pretty, but I did like to be pretty but sure. back in my day. Uh, but I always make sure that it's part of my bio and part of my byline because ultimately I want people to know that uh, you can't look at a drag queen and go, well, that's a, a stupid person or that's not a smart person or that's a person that doesn't understand Supreme Court justices speaking out loud. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know what? You're you advocate. We can use that term. To me, it's you're like an educator through art and through yeah. um you know, writing and plays and film and music and 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 being a queen artiste. That's that's what you are as an educator. Yeah, um, I love that, my research. I love doing research. Yeah, I love it. Well, and you you you. I mean, you're working on. Didn't you see you're working on stuff with uh, Doctor Christopher Wells as well? Some of the, I, I, some I'm history. One of, stuff? I'm one of the team members of the Edmonton Queer History Project at right. McEwen, uh University, which is very interesting. And you know, it's yeah, because the Edmonton Queen. When I wrote that back in 1996, that was uh, when it got published in 97. That was the first book about queer history in Alberta. Wow. And uh, and so and I've also done uh, uh, lots of plays. I had a friend who died of AIDS in uh, '97 or '98 named Harvey Jones. His alter ego was Killer Carl Kramer, the Nasty Nazi. He was a stampede wrestler, mm. and I inherited his archives when he passed away of AIDS. My husband was his caregiver in, the, mm. in his final years, mm. and so I wrote a play called Pile Driver with Wes Borg that went. It was about, and it was great because I played the straight guy, and all the gay guys, all the straight guys played the gay guys, and Harvey would tell us stories about. Him, he was not the only gay guy on the bus. Right. There was a whole bunch of them. Yeah. And they were wrestlers. They were these big, yeah. bald, tough, muscly yeah. guys. And they would get off the bus in Red Deer and beat the crap out of each other for a bunch of straight guys. And so we called uh, wrestling a homophobe, it was homoerotica for homophobes, is what we called it. Um, so I love pointing the queer lens at a story that we think we know 
and showing that there's a whole story there that nobody has ever heard before. And I love finding queer histories and 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 bringing them to the to the to the fore. We're not going to get canceled um, in 2023, right? Is it fair of me? No, I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to say, is it ever say, is it fair of me? What are our thoughts right now on where society is? Because this is what I'm, I said this to Christopher Wells as well, Dr. Dr. Wells. I'm sure his answer is going to be way more eloquent than mine. Um, He's good at this. As somebody who... I don't even know if I like. Sometimes I don't even feel comfortable saying I'm an ally because right. I don't even know what that means. Right. To be honest with you, I can't keep up with so much of the change that is happening. Welcome to being okay. old. That's not about being that's straight. That's, that's about true. being old. Solid point. <laughs> Solid point. The, the pre-social media. Listen, if you and I keep right? going, we're going to be the two old men in the Muppets. Just <laughs> I loved it. But, I loved it. But but you're right. That part of that is. But like for example. You know, the LBGTQ community. But now it's the LBG. Like, I can't keep up with, with it all. And I don't want to be offensive, but yet I also don't want the community to be pissed at me right. if I screw something up because I didn't know. I do resist being held to account for language that's changing faster than I can Google it. Yes. Right? Um, and so, for instance, uh, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of the, of the alphabet soup. LGBTQ2A plus 2SIA plus. I just, it's just getting longer and longer, and frankly, it won't fit on a pride flag anymore. So I kind of go, I kind of go. If I can't, if I can't remember the order of the letters, then nobody else is going to be able to. Right. Don't expect my grandma or my mom to be able to remember that. And I think that that ultimately creates a counterproductive situation in my eyes. Yeah. I also find that. And it's, I think that that's a fair attitude to have. I also find that it's incredibly uh, uh, Anglo-centric. Like, like. It works for English people, but those letters mean nothing to someone who doesn't speak English. So right. where's that live, right? Because right. queer is not a North American thing. Queer is a global thing. Sure. And so you have to find a word that actually does embrace everybody. So I use the word queer because queer is not about uh, who I sleep with it, or about the sex I have. It's about where I am politically. Mm. And queer allows for, there's a lot of versions of queer. I think all queer means is not completely straight sure that's the, in my eyes but again i agree there's going to be people that disagree with my yeah. definition of that but but that's the one i'm most comfortable and, with because it's not about who i sleep with and don't you think it's oh god i don't even know why i'm saying why i'm saying this it's just so who gives a shit who you sleep with do you lots, know what i'm saying lots of people i know do. that darren but like now like in, where i'm at in my life i don't care I don't care. You know, and why should it matter to anybody? Why should it matter at all? Let me I, tell you about. Let me tell you about um, the day. The day my grandma and I had a talk, a very important talk. She, uh, when in after my grandpa died, she became that senior who like organized all the tours for all the ladies, so they would go to the Appalachians and see the the leaves in the fall. Mm -hmm. Or she took a bunch of old ladies from Grand Prairie to uh, San Francisco once. And they went to a bar called Finocchio's. Have you ever heard of it? Mm -mm. Very famous drag bar. Like yeah. since like the 40s or 30s. Like and where, and where is that located? San Francisco. Oh, okay. It's called Finocchio's. I've never been to San Francisco though. Neither have I. No? Uh, no, I haven't made the... I have friends that have been there. I, I haven't it. done the gay Mecca the, 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 Although uh, I heard it's pilgrimage. Pretty rough right now. 
that's apparently enough, yeah. yeah but anyways okay so gra- so so and, and and grandma would often call me up when she was at the airport in edmonton and go i've got a few hours to kill and so i'd go pick her up and we'd have lunch at my place and she started talking about this drag bar that she'd been to and i'd never had this conversation with grandma but i had already done like the fringe and mm-hmm. like taking guys in disguise to the fringe and stuff like mm-hmm. that and so i was like and she was like darren you wouldn't believe how much these men look like women i was like Okay, Grandma, I've got some stuff to show you. <laughs> Look at my closet, Grandma. Well, and I figured if some she pictures. Was, if she was already going to drag shows, yeah. well, okay, well, there's the big obstacle, right? Like, she's not judging those no. people. So it was time to sort of open up that. But it's funny. The first time I was ever on TV in drag was at the Fringe Parade in 1987. Okay. I was dressed as a mermaid, and I was riding a 57 Pontiac down White Avenue. And uh, as, as, as I went past, I think, the CFRN camera, which was pointing straight at me, I went... Hey, how's it going? Or something like that. And my grandma phoned me up and said, were you in a aquamarine bathing suit in the fringe parade just now? Because she recognized my voice, right? <laughs> aquamarine bathing suit. She didn't see the mermaid tail. I love All it. All she saw was the little yeah. bra piece, right? I love it. <clears throat> so grandma, grandma was probably proud of you. Grandma came to, when I did when I started acting in drag because that was the thing I did drag in the gay bars for a while for like a, almost a decade and then I kind of stopped doing drag for a while because like, I wanted to be a theater artist sure. and I wanted people to take me seriously and even queer people told me if you don't stop wearing a dress no one's ever going to take you seriously mm-hmm. I, I sort of resisted that but I was also kind of disenchanted with drag because once you leave the bar, because I was no longer working at the bar, you sort of don't have a space for it. And it right. took me a few years to realize, oh, wait, theater is actually that space. Mm. So the Edmonton Queen was six years after I got fired from the bar. And that's the first time I kind of brought drag to the mainstream as a, as a not as a drag show, but as a play. Sure. Sure. And as a writer and as a performer. So uh, where was I going with that? Uh, we were talking about, sorry, I lost my train of well, thought. Well, I said your grandma was proud of you. Right. Oh, so when I finally started acting in drag in plays by dr- people who I are, have careers very similar to mine but had beat me to it by 10 years. Charles Bush is a very famous writer from New York who's a drag queen who writes plays for drag characters. And so I did a play called Times Square Angel, which was a Christmas play where I played the main character. You love Christmas I drag I hate stuff. Christmas, which is hilarious. I hate Doesn't Christmas sound like so it. much. <laughs> uh, a gig's a gig, right? Uh, and a paycheck is a paycheck. <laughs> That's right. Uh, anyway, so at one point, and there was a there was a big striptease number, but the, the script just says it's a big striptease striptease number. So we did Santa Claus is coming to town, and the guy that was playing the mob boss in the movie, he dressed up as Santa, and it was kind of a strip act. And we're at the rebar club, and I'm on a speaker hanging from the rafters in a dress in full drag with my legs wrapped around Santa with his shirt off, and I look down, and there's my grandma sitting right at my feet, laughing her head off. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So she was pretty. One of my was one of my supportive. grandmas was pretty. Pretty fun too. Like she, she just kind of was like, yeah, anything goes. Like she was a blast. Man. Well, she and blast, I think there's and... a, you know, it's funny because people talk about my 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 drag my company my theater company guys in disguise. People go, well, I assume that your audience is gay. It's like, oh, I can't make money playing with only gay people in Edmonton. There's not yeah. enough people, yeah. right? Um, our, well, if I'm not mistaken, the status is only ten percent. There, there we go. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. And and, and only like one percent of those is going to be you know interested in coming to a drag show, <laughs> yeah, frankly, exactly. at the fringe. Uh, but our audience is mostly middle aged women. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And older women just—they get to this point where it's like, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to yeah. see what I want. I want to. I want an adventure. I want to see something that's not something I've seen before, right? Darren, I could sit and talk to you for hours and hours. We haven't and hours even and touched hours. on anything. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Think I'm a bad interviewer? No, I come just, on. I just feel like I'm a bad storyteller because I keep no. getting sidetracked. You no, know, you're like we could go for hours because I think you and I could talk and talk and talk and talk. Probably right. And. We are lucky to have you. You haven't asked me the question that you told me to prepare for, though. 
Let's go. I don't even remember it. You, now. you asked me to sort of talk about what relentless meant to me. Oh no 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 no! Oh, that's, that's just an overarching theme. That's a theme. Okay, and, got and, it. But but I will say this uh, because we're going to get you to do a little. What do you think relentless is? Right. Um, but that's for anyways. Um, when we when we okay when we use the word relentless and we think about your life, okay. How did you have to, I mean, you had to be relentless in so many things that you've done. Yeah. How did you interweave that? And, and at times, cause Darren, you're, you're very positive. You are very positive and you talk, but you had to have been knocked down. Oh yeah. Many times, but you got back up and you put those, you went from six, four to six, seven in your heels. <laughs> you put them back on like. Talk. Well, well, before we do uh, the last thing we do, right. talk a little bit about that. On some level, I knew in my heart that I was right and everybody else was wrong. Mm. And that partially it's because I got really good marks in school when I was a kid. I won awards in grade one and three before the bullying started. Mm. I was like the top student, right? And when I started doing music, I won a lot of awards for that too. I've had a bit of a charmed life in a lot of ways. But what that means is when the shit comes at you, you've got that inner reserve of art, talent, some smarts. You're not being bullied by the idea of God looking down on you. I think I had a pretty good head start on a lot of people. And that's my privilege. That's the privilege of growing up in a house that's not completely you know, toxic, of growing up in a family that ultimately was willing to learn and evolve. you know. But also my mom... I can't probably overestimate how important my mom is to me and, uh, and how strong she was. I mean, even when things were tough, but my mom was an achiever. She was like, she was a track and field star in high school. And when she was in grade 12, she actually uh, made an Olympic qualifying time mm-hmm. and was told by the principal of the high school, but oh no, but finals are coming up. So don't go for the Olympics. And if she'd have been a boy, you know that they would have trained him to get ready. But because she was a woman, she was told, no, that's not for you. And my mom never lost a race. She was the Wayne Gretzky of the Northern Alberta, like track and field. Like Mm -hmm. if you didn't beat Louise, you weren't going to win. That was just the way it went. And, uh, and later in life, uh, you know, even simple things like, uh, like doing taxes or, you know, if she, if she did an exam, she would get 99.9% and be really angry that she didn't get that last percent. Right, she, right. I think her biggest disappointment in life is that I was so bad at sports. Right. Because she's a jock. Yeah. She was like a hardcore. She coached seven little league teams until she was like 50-something, right? She was a baseball player like you would not believe. So um, her example of just doing something better than anybody else could possibly imagine doing it, that's something to really strive for and really aim for and I think that that's probably just having that example in front of me for most of my life whenever things go wrong I kind of you know always remember that just being good at something is just the best defense against the crap that the world can throw at you because everything else can fall apart but you've always got that so you know the world might call you a pervert or a deviant or there might not be space for you but damn it I'm good at this and even when it came to drag, I remember a, a moment when mom finally realized I was a drag queen and we had a long talk and it wasn't an easy talk. But I, at one point I did say to her, mom, you may not understand what I'm doing, but you should recognize that I'm one of the best people around at it. And that's because of you, because I learned to be good at what I do or it's not worth doing. So 
it's fascinating to me and 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 it's it's beautiful to me because to me it, it this isn't about being dragged this isn't nope. about this is about life yeah this is about life for me the drag you know it's so weird because drag is not just a craft or a or a skill or an art it's also the core of who i am mm-hmm. so i always tell people that darren arrived in edmonton and then darren found gloria and then Gloria took over for a decade. And everything I am now is because of the woman I was in the 80s, mm-hmm. right? It's Gloria that was fierce, learned to fight back, learned to stand up to everybody, learned to toss shade around like you wouldn't believe, wield the F word like a weapon. Yeah. And, and one of the things I loved best when I was doing classes at Grant McEwen and stuff and talking to classes, and I would run it, and this doesn't happen a lot anymore, but I used to have some really homophobic questions from mostly the straight jock guys at the back of the class. I loved taking them on because I knew I would win. Yeah. I knew I would win every time because I knew that their arguments would just fall apart as soon as I challenged them on anything. But see, right? that's, that to me is what you said right whenever we started talking about the relentless aspect is you knew how smart you were, how good you were. How, I mean, there was a confidence thing which I think is amazing. Like, I really do. I respect it. I admire it. You I know? was lucky. It's, but, it's, but, but you knew. And I think so much of that is the, 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 the smarts part of it. Where it's like, you know what? I know that I'm right. Yep. And that, to me, is such a powerful message for anyone listening. Where you need to stop sometimes and go, no, I'm right. And, and to not settle for anything less than That's right. fairness and justice and equality. That's right. Knowing that... Maybe I'm not the popular stance right now, but I know that eventually the world... Like, I feel so lucky that I got to live at this moment in time. Sure. To have a foot in the, in the inequality world and to have a foot in the post-equality world where we're actually sort of like, I got to see some of the things that my friends who died of AIDS never thought that they would see in their sure. lifetime, right? That's such a privilege just to be alive but, at this but moment in time. But it's because you knew you were right. And I love that message. There was a moment when I was watching TV in 1977. We're probably almost out of time, aren't we? It was 1977. And do you know about Anita Bryant getting pied in the face? I think I do know of this. Okay, Remind so she, me, though. She was basically from Florida, orange, or Florida Orange Juice spokeswoman, decided to go on an anti-homo crusade to save the children. Sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and uh, this is 1977, and she got Nash, Jerry Falwell with the Moral Majority right. teamed up with her. This is around the time of Harvey Milk, too. So okay. this is all the same This is era. why I think I know of this, because yeah, I was quite young, but it's, I've, it's all I, part of the same. I love history. I love documentary. I, like, I've seen a lot of this it, stuff. It's my favorite sort of period of history, to, to because I, it's, it was my awakening. That's I right. remember. So Anita Bryant basically got pied in the face by a gay activist on live television as she was delivering her anti-gay message someone came up and threw a pie in her face and her response was at least it was a fruit pie and then she started to cry and pray on the camera it's google it when you get home it's a great clip it's a fantastic clip not because she gets pied in the face but because it's such a moment in history because that was the moment and i remember seeing that on the news i would have been 13 years old in 1977 i remember seeing that on the news and that was the moment where i knew that that story was about me and it was that moment of going oh i'm queer like i always kind of knew it but that was the moment where i went that guy's fighting my battle for me yeah you know and i think that that realization of of uh, just recognizing the signs around you of who you are and where you stand in history and knowing that even in that moment his ability to stand up to this icon in america and throw a pie in her face it sounds like such a silly thing 
but he was fighting back. And I went, ah, queer people are fighting back. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of queer people fighting back. Right. Because I grew up in a pre-internet age with, you know, two channels in Rocky Mountain House. Yeah. So it's not like I ever got like pro-gay messages. That farm anywhere. vision, man. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Trailer court vision. Yeah. Even smaller. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, uh, farm vision is three channels. Yeah, totally. two. <laughs> Listen, um, we end every podcast with the relentless quiz. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, here we go. This is going to determine... If you are truly relentless. Is this like Stephen Colbert's 10 questions that I'm will so reveal you? I'm so happy that you got... Yes, I, I stole love it. These. I stole it. Excellent. Okay. I stole it from him. And I used to actually explain, uh, I stole this from Stephen Colbert. But then everyone was like, okay. Cause, uh, but I love it because I love those. I love Colbert. And I love I when love, he asks. I love when he goes, you are known. <laughs> Colbert is genius. Can't wait. Genius. Okay, here we go. Be good. I am not wait. genius, but okay. here we go. <laughs> That's your cue to go, no, you are. But whatever. <laughs> You missed it, and you call yourself an actor. Okay. An actor, not an improviser. you got to give me oh, my lines ahead okay, of time. That's oh, right. <laughs> Shit. Here we go. Okay. Fruits or vegetables? Oh, fruits. Okay. For obvious reasons. <laughs> city or countryside? Uh, oh, you know, it used to be city. Now I'd say countryside. Mm. Yeah. Aging. I, We're aging. Yeah. I'd we lo- like quiet and peace. Oh, God, please. And, and, and more dogs. I yeah. need more room for dogs. So, oh, yeah. Give me some dog. countryside. How many dogs do you have? Just one. I got one. I love yeah. my dogs. So what much. kind of dog do you have? She is a little Yorkie poo. Or I call her a porky. Aw. Yeah. I've got a Boston Terrier named Jackson Aww, who's nice. the toughest little bastard. My middle oh. son's name is Jackson. Oh, excellent. We call him Jax, though. Look how much we have in common. <laughs> and my little girl's name is Callie. I don't, I just have, adore I don't have a Callie in my life. Oh, I adore her. That's a good name, though. She is. She, uh, this, is, this isn't about dogs. Okay. Uh, <laughs> or children. Dirty, dirty bathroom or dirty kitchen? Depends. Are you asking which one I don't like or which one I do like? Dirty bathroom or dirty kitchen? Mm, dirty kitchen. Okay. I'm, uh, you know, I've got a much raunchier answer, but I'm going to avoid okay. it for now. Yes. Let's, you already said I'll one tell you really raunchy thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Salty or sweet? Uh, oh, that's a hard one. Um. Yeah, salty. Yeah, so many people go fruits, then they go salty. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it is interesting. I love it. Uh, morning or night? Morning. Okay. Although back in the day. Oh, God. Well, okay. Night. To be fair. No, to be fair. When I got home, it was morning. Yeah, Because like, I worked true. until four, 3 in the morning, right? That's so, true. yeah. But now I get up. I'm like my mom. I get up at 4 in the morning, 5 in the morning, and then kill time until I have to come do a podcast. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um... Favorite comedy movie? Comedy. Oh, oh, oh. I'm going to say Victor Victoria. I'm sure that there are other choices, but that one changed my life. And that's what you told me earlier to watch. Yes, it was okay. the 1981 or two. Okay. Uh, Hollywood made three gay movies, and one of them was Victor Victoria, and it was okay. about drag culture in Paris, pre World War One, and it was it changed my life. I'm going to check it out. Yeah. Big party, small gathering. Oh, again, that's a. These would these answers would all be different if you had asked me twenty years ago. Right. Uh, now I'm small gathering. Small gathering. But I was a big party. Absolutely. Yeah, big Absolutely. party. Absolutely. Phone in the bathroom or no phone in the bathroom? Well, you have a cell phone. You can take it anywhere you want. Thanks you. You're being honest. Yeah. That means you take it in the bathroom because most not most. But some I people, some people go, no. Here's here's the trick. Never flush while you're talking to a friend. That's true. That's just that's true. That's just good manners. You flush? Anyways. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Only if company's coming. That's right. <laughs> we, we know why? Because we're environmentalists. There we go. There we Saving go. Saving the water. <laughs> um, favorite love song of all time? 
Oh, 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 music is my life. Um, it's a tough one. It's a tough one a when you love one. music because it's oh like... Oh, my God, because there's so much good music. It's like asking a parent to pick their favorite child. <clears throat> yeah, because every piece of music is so important to Come me. Come on, do you, do, you, do you have a wedding song? No, no. Okay. We got married in the backyard with hot dogs. It was a very small oh, ceremony. God, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it was the best. Like t- 10 people there. I love hot dogs. And we only got there. We only did that because... Oh, it's a long story. I won't, I won't bore okay. you with the whole thing till afterwards. Um, okay. Favorite love song? Uh, uh, I'm going to have to pick something by Donna Summer or Hart or Kate Bush. Which one will I pick? I'm going to go Man with a Child in His Eyes, Kate Bush. I would have to hear that song. So you don't know Kate Bush? I know Kate Bush, but that title does not ring a bell to me. She wrote it about... Oh, I'm not going to... No, I'm not going to say Sing it. Uh, I hear him before I go to sleep and focus on the day that's been. And then the chorus goes, Ooh, he's here again. The man with the child in his eyes. I don't know that song, yeah. but I'm going to listen it's to it. It's not a single. No. It's a very famous... It's Kate Bush's first album. We're talking 1976. Okay. Yeah. If you're not a Kate Bush fan. I'm not a Kate Bush fan. I know who no. she is. Though. You'll have to go Google that okay, one. Okay, I will. And thank you for singing. Second person to ever sing on oh, the podcast. Oh, really? Eh? Yeah. should have done and a I knew you would. first. I knew if I said sing it that you would. <laughs> the other gentleman that was on here, he shocked me. Because I was like, well, sing it just to be funny. And also he went, <clears throat> and, and he was he, on and Zoom. He, did it. he just started singing. Excellent. And I, I thought it was Excellent. hilarious. Anyways. You if, you did, if you caught, caught me mid-afternoon, I could have done more. You have a very nice voice. Oh, thank you. Um, two questions left. Cake or pie? Oh, yeah, I gotta go pie. Okay, me yeah. too. That's a tough one. Yeah. That's a tough question. Cakes are good. Last question Uh-oh. before we wrap this this up. All right. Describe your relentless podcast experience in four words. Oh. <laughs> I change it. Colbert used five. <coughs> I should know. I, I go four. I go four. F bombs before noon. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> nice. Darren, Darren Hagen. Thank you for Thank pronouncing you. it right. Thank you for coming on here. Thanks for I, having me. It was fun. I wish that I have known you for 30 years. Oh, I, I, I was, I, I I was genuinely an asshole. I was, so was such I. an asshole. But so was I. And I'll tell you why. Because we could have been assholes together. Yeah, that's true. We could have taught one another some stuff. You would have taught me way more than I would have ever taught you. No, but, I don't know. But I learned a lot from everybody I, I am. appreciate you coming on here. I appreciate what you've done not just for our community, but for like the larger masses in our, in our society. Um, we are lucky to have you. Uh-huh. We deserve you. That's sweet. The province deserve. We deserve you, man. What you have done is incredible. And I, I just think it's awesome. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thanks. I'm, I'm I hopeful had a really that good time too, you know, we can, we can hang out again. We do a part two, maybe sometime. Yeah. Okay, we got to right. wrap this up. Darren, um, thank you. Where can we find you on the socials? Are you on the socials? I hate social media. I despise it. I do have a Twitter okay. handle that I use reluctantly, at Guys in Disguise. Okay. But it's my company, not me. Okay. I don't do social media. Then we can't find you there. But you I can. will tell you, you can right find now, Guys in Disguise there. I will tell you this, people. If you Google this man, you are going to find pages and pages and pages on the old interweb. And some good pictures, too. Great pictures. I'm telling you, you're hot. You're hot. I had my And moments. I still think you're hot. Aww, I do. You're no, I'm sweet. serious. I'm serious. You're an attractive, attractive man. Oh, so thank, thank you. you. 
I feel um, like an old grandma these days. I, I appreciate you so much. Folks, if you want to find more info about You Can Use Services, you go to www.youcan.ca. That's Y-O-U-C-A-N.ca. Uh, and you can find me, I, I'm just really on Twitter, and I don't even do much on there. Oh, At Twitter's Kyle's gotten Bay. so awful, hasn't it? Are we allowed to trash Twitter right we now? We can trash whatever. Oh my God, yeah. it's bad. You mean X. 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 Oh, yeah, I can't even wrap my head around that. I know. Folks, thank you for listening. Darren, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Stay relentless. Until I, until I next time. What other options are there? Exactly. <laughs>